You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. We talk a lot on this podcast about how every kid is different, even within the same family. When we say this, we're talking about ways they're gifted or talented. One might be more athletic, another is a whiz at math, or can pick up a guitar and just know what to do. Yeah, but we're also talking about temperament. And temperament is the way your child is built socially, emotionally, and relationally. Whether they're an introvert or an extrovert, whether they're serious-minded or more playful. Right. So everybody's heard the Psalm 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think this may very well be a truism that refers to temperament. A child's basic temperament is not going to change in his or her lifetime. And if you're a wise parent, you're going to try to discern this early on and use your understanding of each child when you're training and teaching and correcting and motivating. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of parents just think about this in terms of like following Jesus. If I train up a child in the way they should go, they're always going to follow Jesus and I'm a total failure if they don't. Right. Okay, so we got to take scripture in context and put all the pieces together and make them fit. And we know this is not true. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, look it, around. It's not true. And so I this just makes so much sense to me. When you, years ago, when you first said this, in our class we taught together, mm-hmm. where you, you were like, I think this really is talking about knowing your child. Knowing, I think it's in First Peter where it talks about husbands knowing their wives, mm-hmm. like living with them in an understanding way. I think that holds true for our children as well. Right. And it helps us not exasperate them, which is also a command right. to fathers. You're not trying to make them just like you. Yes. And you're not trying to make them learn like you or have the gifts that you do. They're not going to, likely, not going to be just like you. Right. You get the gift of learning a new person and helping them really like reach their full potential, which is such an honor. Yeah. Really, really cool to watch. It's really cool to watch. So I think we need to do a little defining here of terms. So we're going to talk about temperament, mm-hmm. personality, and character. What they all mean. And they kind of overlap. And that's why we get them, you know, kind of confused or conflated sometimes. So... Temperament is the natural part of your personality that comes from your genes. And, and it's why we see it as like, that's just the way they are. The biological part of their personality, the instinctive part of their personality. Mm-hmm. It's the part of your personality that always shows up first. I like the way you said that. Yeah, you can, you can even see this early in babies. Some babies are more likely to be really sensitive. Um, some babies have good, bo- good moods and bad moods. So you might say that, oh, you've got a really easy baby. <laughs> or your baby's a little more difficult. Right. I mean, we are seeing this with Dottie Lou. It's so fun to do it all over again as a grandparent. She is such an extroverted mm. baby. She loves to be around people. She's happier. If she's in that little quiet house, just the two of them. After a few hours, Emma's like, she kind of gets grumpy. <laughs> she needs to we get, get in the car, we go to Target, and she's living her best life, waving at every single person uh, they pass by. Yeah. That's funny. Doing the big cheesy grin at them. She just, she gets her energy from being around people. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, you know, if she wasn't aware of that, Emma, 
wasn't aware of that how, how Dottie was made. She'd just be scratching her head. Well, why is she grouchy yeah. at one in the afternoon? Or why, why is she grouchy after a weekend spent at home? Right. When you, as a mom, are an introvert and you're thinking, well, this is awesome. It's just the two of us here. It's really nice and quiet. Right. You can't always get what you want. No. As a mom, you've got to look at what your kids need. So as we're saying this, you will probably understand that temperament is hard to modify, manipulate, or change. Like that tendency is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that your child is just a static human being that is incapable of learning or growing or um, being more flexible, holding back on some parts of their temperament that are just really natural. Right, right. Um, You can take control over certain things. So I talk about this a lot on this podcast, how I'm a certain way, I have a certain temperament, I'm very blunt and straightforward. And my first child was very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I could just say, I had two choices. That this is my temperament. She learns to deal with me. Or I said, what I did say was, that's her temperament. She's the little person. <laughs> I need to learn to communicate in a way the little person can hear me. Right. Which has served me well. Yeah, it changes you years. and it, lets you be flexible yeah. and, and conscious of others. And it serves her well because her spirit's not crushed. Exactly. Much, much less crying. Much less crying. <laughs> For both of you. Because she wasn't scared and upset. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So character is different than temperament. Yes. Character is something we learn. It's like a layer on top of the temperament. Yes. I like the way um, William Stratton Bruce wrote about this in his 1908 book, The Formation of Christian Character. He writes this, above all, character includes a choice, a settled habit or bent of will so that it can be seen in its outcome in conduct. Character takes up the raw material of nature and temperament, and it weaves these into the strong, well-knit texture of a fur- fully moralized manhood. We would say personhood. Personhood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, character comes from the Greek word character which means engraved mark. It's like a symbol or an imprint on the soul. It's an instrument for marking and can be traced back further to the words like to engrave or to scrape and to scratch. So we're talking about hmm. scraping and scratching, you know, traits onto ourselves, right? Right. So they become like a part of us, mm-hmm. an imprint on us. Well, yeah, we don't really hear it used today like we used to in 1908. <laughs> no, it's it's a cool kind of, progression i mean cool in a bad way an interesting progression Mm -hmm. of the emphasis changing from character to personality right character was something we used to teach character virtues and things in uh elementary school Mm -hmm. all all the way up to harvard actually that's Mm -hmm. what education was based on was character virtue what kind of citizen you would become um and now it's more i think we've shifted like you said to the personality bent which is more what is your uniqueness what is each individual's uniqueness rather than what is our character that we need to have as a society? Right. And so this goes back for those of you who are nerds like me and just it'll help you see kind of how things have changed in our society, how we got where we are. Uh-huh. So it began in the 17th century and peaked in the 19th century in terms of the emphasis on character. There was a lot of writing about it um, and it was a key word in the vocabulary of the average American mm. and the average Englishman. And people were talked about as having a strong character or a weak character, good character or bad character, a great deal of character uh-huh. or no character at all. 
And as you just said, young people were admonished to cultivate character, noble character, and it was the most priceless thing they could obtain. But when we switched from an agricultural society to a society of consumers, where mm -hmm. we were cranking out goods and mm -hmm. we were consuming them, the idea of what it meant to be a human being started to kind of shift. And I thought that was so interesting that um, the rise of mass-produced consumer goods and more leisure time, which we would I would say is good for people sure. to have more leisure time, the unintended consequence was that people started to change how they formed their identity and presented it to the world. And the Art of Manliness website had an article on this I thought was interesting. They wrote, in place of defining themselves through the cultivation of virtue, people began to express themselves through hobbies, through their dress, and through their possessions. This shift was ob observed through the changing content of self-improvement manuals. Oh my gosh. Which went... <laughs> <laughs> entire sections of the bookstore now. Oh, yeah. Went from emphasizing moral imperatives and work to personal fulfillment. Hmm. The vision of self-sacrifice began to yield to that of self-realization. Yeah, it's interesting when you study the shift in culture yes. and history. Wow. Thus, the rise of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People in 1936, the Dale Carnegie book. Like, it's how you're presenting yourself to the world, how right. to win people to mm -hmm. you. So it's an individual rather than a community shift for mm -hmm. sure especially mm -hmm. in our culture in our mm -hmm. country yeah that's really really interesting <laughs> so i mean character does include temperament we it does we would say that 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 your temperament meaning your inherited traits how god made you but it's also the social the educational the moral habits that you learn right so it makes sense that these habits would influence your temperament obviously and these habits also adjust those predispositions and they polish them, mm -hmm. shaping your personality. That's why characters' roots are in culture. So, for example, here's a big gaffe that I made one time. So, in our culture, it's um, good character. It's considered at least good form, maybe good character, to look someone in the eye. You extend your hand out and shake their hand mm -hmm. when you're meeting them. Ask a question about them. Yes. Um, so then we went to India. And we met some of the bishops of the churches there. Mm -hmm. And that's an honor-shame culture. And I should have noticed that... His... <laughs> I'm at what did you do? I was so dumb. <laughs> so the, the parishioners were literally like kissing the man's sandals mm. at, you know, as they were entering the church. And I walked right up to him, stuck out my hand, looked him in the eye, and as soon as I did it, I knew like uh, he was totally shocked. Oh no. And appalled. And graciously, he stuck his hand out and introduced himself to me. And then I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just did that. I, I did see everyone kissing your feet. But <laughs> However, I thought, no, that's not no, for me. No, 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 let's just shake hands. Much less the woman-man thing in that culture, right. which is very different. So, so yeah, uh, char character, the way we play out in culture, it's like we want to be respectful. They want to show respect. We want to show respect. But mm -hmm. how we do that looks so very different. Yes. So it is influenced by your culture. For, yes, absolutely. Yes. So when you have cross-cultural relationships, it just helps to talk it out and... And know, you know, hey, how is this going to be perceived? Right. <clears throat> well, with our kids, with our kids, 
in our house, and I'm sure with yours too, we talked a lot about how our character is affected by those we hang around. Oh, yeah. Um, Paul talks about that in the Corinthians. Bad company corrupts good character. Yes. Uh, which David Skidmore said yes. when he was with us. Our, our youth minister guest said that says that all the time. And he's just riffing on Paul. He's talking to the Corinthians saying, look, all this false teaching that you're believing is because of who you're hanging around. Yeah. Bad company corrupts good character. Stop, stop it. And I always thought about character in terms of like the standards to which my children had to rise, regardless of temperament. Yes. Knowing that I needed to give grace for and and maybe a longer period of time for certain children to learn certain things because it was going to be harder so your example of hey in our culture we stick out our hand we look each other in the eye we ask a question Mm -hmm. so for certain children who are introverted or um, yes yeah maybe not as comfortable around other people that's going to be harder but that doesn't mean they don't get to do it oh no you know emma learned that right off the bat i'm like i am such a good parent (laughs) everything I tell her to do in terms of interpersonal relationships she does it I'm so good I'm just I my teaching skills are on point (laughs) and then I had an introverted child and I realized oh wait it was actually more her temperament at play yes that she was just a quick on-ramp to those behaviors Mm -hmm. and Houston of course he learned them it was but it took him a few years yeah it's just gonna take you longer it just took him a few years and so by the time he was five yeah he could look somebody in the eye at church and answer a question if somebody asked him a question right so characters like the moral virtuous standards yeah that we're trying to impart in our children um regardless of their temperament because they need to know them to be a good person to be a good citizen to be a christ follower um and some of them are going to take harder to work on than others because they might be shy or whatever it is but that doesn't mean they get to go below that standard yeah and so when you realize this about your children, you can really minimize the exasperation that you feel and they feel when you're trying to, to train to these character standards. So if your child um, is characterized by, you know, being angry or being sad mm-hmm. or being lazy, you know, just know like, okay, that's going to be the long goal here. We're looking at, look, at, I told a mom the other day, look at, look at 10 years down the road. She's like 10 years. <laughs> I said, yeah, what do you want to be seeing 10 years down the road? That's what you need to be asking yourself Mm -hmm. here. It's going to be hard for her to do whatever we were talking about. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking that by the time she's in first grade, she's going to have this mastered. It's just going to set you both up. Right. For a lot of gnashing of teeth and wailing. That's right. So long haul, what are you characterized by? Mm -hmm. Um, Chip away at it. Point out the positive that you want to see. And that's where you're going to get character from. So... You wrote that personality is inborn and character is learned. That's a good summary. Mm -hmm. Personality comes from adding up your character, your temperament and learned habits, and your behavior. And so it's this this kind of beautiful combination at the end. I think of it as like a watercolorist who layers the colors. Yeah. And until you get this beautiful nuanced Mm -hmm. picture. Right. That you're looking at. Right. So, okay. So that's character. It's kind of what our moral makeup Mm -hmm. is and what's culture puts on us and then our temperament Mm -hmm. is what we're born with Mm -hmm. so temperament is kind of what we're going to focus on today and we've all probably heard about all the temperament assessments out there probably heard at least one of them i love them i love them i think they're cool they're fun (laughs) 
it's a little bit of navel gazing yes. but it's it's fun it's helpful there's myers-briggs where you get the letters the intp or the estj or whatever. the best one istj <laughs> that's just a personal favorite of mine <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> Uh, the Enneagram, which is hugely popular right now, which has all 16 or more of them. And you get subcategories. I think it's kind of complicated myself. It is. I, I, I only have so much capacity to learn new assessments. I so do I too. do it because the young people in my life do it. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the one I know the most about. Me either. Um, there's the ancient Greek humors, whether you have a melancholy or a choleric temperament. Um, there's ones that use animals like golden retrievers or otters as representations. But the one that we use is one that we found just easy to understand on a basic level. Yes. Because we're simple like that. Um, and it <laughs> Listen, breaks. your mom brain, you need some simplicity. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so we have four different colors that we talk about. And on this episode, we're just going to talk about one of them. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to the other ones later on. And this episode, we're talking about the color blue. So full disclosure, I'm not blue. I'm you're, not blue you're either. You're not blue. Mm-mm. But we have blue people in our lives. Yep. So you got to learn about them because yeah. you're going to encounter them. That's right. And you might have a baby that's one of them. Yes. So there you go. Absolutely. So you can get an idea a lot of times of what your child's temperament may be, like we said before, even when they're babies or toddlers. Yeah. So what does it look like if your child's blue, Bonnie? How, how would you parent differently if you do have a blue child? Well, blue children tend to be extra snuggly. Mm-hmm. They really cry to be held. They love touch and closeness. And of course, to some extent, all babies and all children need to be held. But blue kids in particular are happiest when they're near you, like touching you on top of you. <laughs> uh, we have our son is partially blue and he cannot be in the room without draping part of himself <laughs> over you. Yeah, so very true. So I, yeah, my first child was um, blue and that was what I was explaining in another podcast, like how I spoke to her, mm. it, I, I had totally had to change how I spoke to her because she would take everything to heart. Mm-hmm. And she would take it personally. And on the flip side, she was super relational and that's super helpful trait, right? right. To, to be in tune with other people and how they're feeling. So people with this temperament are often gifted with artistic and creative tendencies. They're good listeners, loyal friends, faithful just they're the best in a crisis they're the people who are gonna cry with you yeah they're the ones you want to call in the middle of the night because you know they're gonna be there yes they love to be helpful very self-sacrificing and they tend to attract people who need a shoulder to lean on Mm -hmm. they love to give little gifts or send notes just to be thoughtful just because they think of others Uh, birthdays and anniversaries are really important to mark as special occasions Mm -hmm. they're hospitable they're sensitive they like to run in herds because they're relational. Yes. You know, they'll ask people to go out to dinner. Uh, they don't like to go out shopping or eat out or go to the movies alone. Right. And this can be a little difficult for people who aren't bent this way. A lot of, We have these very blue friends of ours, and my husband and I are not blue. And sometimes we want to just go out with these two friends of ours. And every single time we ask them to go out to dinner, we show up and there's two other couples there because they can't stand. <laughs> the more the merrier. So... Not that we don't like other people, but we were just <laughs> counting on the two of them. It's a one-on-one time so here. So they run in herds, yep. So yeah, blue people need to know that they've made a difference in their in your life. They can tend to get overloaded because they don't like to say no to helping people. <laughs> yep. They're super relational. 
Um, which means that if they've given you their loyalty, they can hold a grudge or they can be easily offended or insulted, which is exhausting mm-hmm. to other temperaments. We don't, yeah. we don't, until you kind of know what's going on behind the scenes right? in their temperament, it, it can feel exhausting. Like, what is going on? Do we always have to have so much drama? It, yeah, it can feel high maintenance to others who yes. are not understanding you. Yes, this temperament is also highly critical of others and of themselves. They tend to hold you to a pretty high standard. Um, they have high expectations and they can tend to be negative. So all the good things that are happening in the world, they'll pick out the one negative and focus on that. So what does this look like in small children? Well, even in preschool, Emma would go to um, her class or maybe Sunday school or a Wednesday night class and she would come back and report on every child. <laughs> so she would be like, so-and-so had a hard time listening to the teacher. I think that they had a hard day. And so-and-so um, was upset because their mommy and daddy got on to them before they came to class. And she would just report back what was going on in the lives of all her little friends. Like this little emotional barometer. <laughs> of the whole room. At a very young age. Yeah, well, under age five. Yeah. Under age five. So between ages like three and five when she could really talk well. So I knew right off the bat. Oh, here's what we're dealing with, <laughs> which was also the source of the tears when I'm correcting her. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she, a voice that I thought was neutral, she felt like was condemning. Mm. You know, I had to especially like change the tone of my voice so she could hear me even when I'm correcting her. And she did as she got into elementary school because she was such a good friend and relational. She would hold a grudge. Yeah. I mean, like a famous family story was when these we just moved to Greensboro North Carolina, we visited a church. Nice family asked us over to get to know us. And their kids took Emma's baby doll that she brought with her, threw it in the driveway, and ran over it with a wagon. <laughs> and till she was probably 16 years old, that was the family who ran over the doll. Like, those were the, the children who ran over the doll. I was like, you've got to forgive them. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe you we should let that go. you to let that go. And like, no, but it was funny, but not funny. Because we're like, this is... This is what we got to be working on. Mm. But now it is funny because she did forget them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's just a stereotypical blue response. Yeah. Is to just nurse that grudge. And I want to, I want to feel all those feelings again. Mm. I'm not saying you did that, Emma. I'm just saying in general, like that's, that is an, an impulse of a blue person. Right. So think about that um, as you're listening to this. If this resonates with you um, for yourself. Yeah. Like think this is your filter of how you're seeing the world, mm-hmm. um, which just an awareness of that goes a long way because <laughs> you might um, just look at somebody else and think of their, oh, their filter is different. They're not seeing the world the way I'm seeing them. It doesn't mean they're, something's wrong with them or I should hold it against them. They're just seeing it differently. So the same with your child. Your child is looking at the world through this blue filter. Mm-hmm. They're not seeing it how you are. And they may not be capable necessarily of seeing it how you are. So, Not until they're much older. Right. So, you know, we talked our children through this in the middle elementary years mm-hmm. and up. And it was actually super helpful Like when Emma began to babysit. Um. You know, she could see it in other children as well and kind of identify, oh, here's how I can motivate them or here's how I can communicate with them. And um, it's real helpful relationally. Yes. Like, even a kid can learn it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and among your family members, you know, you, you realize, oh, okay, here's where they're coming from. Like you said, right. here's their filter. It just really helps uh, um, minimize conflict mm-hmm. and give you something to work from. I mean, honestly, I used to think 
that my way was the right way to see the world. I know this is surprising, but I, mean, I think we all we all think that. Okay, so I, I thought this, and I thought, but I also thought, what is wrong with other people? Mm-hmm. Like you are making irrational decisions, or you have no objectivity. Mm-hmm. And the and the truth is, they are using a different set of parameters to measure things. Right. What's good and what's bad. What's a beneficial outcome? What's not? Right. And they're looking at you, saying. What is wrong with her? Why can't you see it this way? (laughs) So yeah, it it really does help relationally and bring your own frustration down. Certainly with your children. Yes. Critical. Critical. With with people you care about. Yeah, it does behoove you to kind of know this. So if you know it, like you said, when Emma figured out, okay, even with younger kids, I can motivate them in a different way. But Mm -hmm. think about that as a parent or a spouse, the way you compliment or praise a child most effectively differs depending on their temperament absolutely so to motivate a blue child get eye to eye with them maybe touch them Mm -hmm. on the arm so remember they're super relational express your appreciation when they've completed something or done a good job and what if you need help bonnie how would you ask a blue child for help so you're not going to say hey i need you to get done here's your list you're going to say i need your help or can you help mom do this can you help your little sister? Because they're thinking in terms of, I want to be helpful. That's a win for a blue person to get to help. Remember, they have a hard time saying no to help. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a real win. Mm-hmm. And then there's the besetting sin. Each of us has one. And that's just that's just a fancy King James way to say it's the thing that sticks with you. It's that it's that trait that you're like, why can I not conquer this? Right. Why am I always having trouble with fill in the blank the thorn in your side so there's variations of course we're unique people but blue people do tend to have the besetting sin forgiveness like unforgiveness i guess would be the besetting sin forgiveness is what we're looking for here Mm -hmm. with emma that was our that was our 10-year goal like by the time she was in high school we really wanted her to be characterized by being able to forgive people okay in a timely manner Mm -hmm. so they're sensitive people Right. They're very in touch, which makes them great friends to have. Yep. They're very in touch with you, but it can make them moody and it can make them self-pitying. It can make them negative. Easily hurt. Yep. Yeah. Their feelings are too easily hurt. Mm-hmm. So there's our great friends over at Parenting Made Practical um, kind of came up with this whole series of lessons on besetting sin. So I want to be sure to sh- Throw a shout out to them. Absolutely great resources. Yep. I bought their stuff and listened to it continually. Yeah. <laughs> it was like on replay. Yeah. Um, so blue temperaments, they just have, they can, they can have a uh, inability to control their emotions too. So with this child, if you have discerned that your child, okay, they're probably blue, given all the things we've talked about here, you're going to need to sort of watch for spirals of self-pity and negativity. Um. Every night at dinner, when our kids were young, we did a thing called high-low, where you just kind of, you have a family dinner and you're kind of summarizing your day. Tell me three things that were highs and three things that were lows. For our bluer child, a lot of times that came out, well, let me just tell you the lows and we're going to camp out here on the lows and we're going to have three paragraphs on each of the lows. (laughs) Um, So we got to reverse that because you're wanting to emphasize positivity with your blue child. So we would say, okay, you gotta do the you gotta do the highs first and <laughs> you gotta emphasize those. That's um, just a really super practical thing. Yeah. 
Tell me, tell me three things, or maybe you get to do five highs and only three lows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. And and again, you're training them for self talk in the future. Yeah, like how they're going to be describing the world to themselves. That's for, right, forevermore. So mm-hmm. that's a great skill you're giving them. Yeah, to be able to find those positive things if that's not how they're naturally naturally bent. So, in terms of parenting this this blue child. It really does help. I mean, it helps every temperament to keep the love tank full. Of course. But the way you do that is lots of physical touch, quality time, gifts, encouraging words. All of the... It, it can be a bottomless pit. Thanks. It can It can feel like, you know, lots of touching. If that's... Like, that was my lowest love language. And I had a blue child. And in, they're infants. You're touching them all the time anyway. Right. But she would actually just articulate it. It's funny. She would be sitting in the back seat. She'd say, I need your thumb. Yes. I need your thumb. And I'd have to drive with one arm on the steering wheel and one hand. Yes. Yes. Back where she could just be touching me while we're driving down the road. That's so funny you mentioned that. I forgot all about that. (laughs) That's hilarious. So, so yeah, just be sure, you know, if you have hurt a blue child, you have got to ask for forgiveness and try to make things right because remember their besetting sin can be grudge holding yeah unforgiveness if you've wounded them that that can turn into resentfulness or bitterness Mm -hmm. and you do not want that between the two of you yeah and you know blue children can be worriers yeah they feel so deeply so they're the Mm -hmm. world is a heavy place um and the hurts of others can really affect them things that they you know they're going to learn about whatever climate change or whatever in school so they're going to cry about the polar bears at night. They're going to cry about Ukraine on the news. They're going to, it's going to just affect their mood mm-hmm. way more than it would your other children. It's true. Because they want it before. They want to help everyone. Like, you know, Emma just thought every fictional character deserved to be cried over in yeah. every read aloud that we did for school. And I told you how many books we read aloud. I mean, we were reading aloud yep. simultaneously every week, probably five books. And so that's a lot of crying. She's got a very clean soul. It just gets cleansed <laughs> right. with lots of salt water. That's what she says to me now that she's older. She's like, it is so cleansing <laughs> to cry. You just like clean out your emotions. Yep. Fresh slate, move yep. on. So, but you have to let that child, I mean, like work through them with that. They can't fix everything. They can't help everyone. Mm-mm. They can't cure everything. It, um, they kind of have to learn a little bit of toughening up and compartmentalizing. It's kind of, it's kind of sad to say because it's a, such a sweet tendency that you want to toughen that, but you cannot. It's debilitating to carry the world's everything. Emma told me this last week, and I have no memory of doing this, which is a scary thought, moms. You just do so many things. <laughs> you do. But it was. It's a, she said it was a regular thing I did. So because she was a crier and she, she got real big emotions about mm-hmm. everything. When she was trying to talk to me or explain something to me, um, and she was kind of hysterically crying, I would say, stop, take a breath, start again. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, you know, I remember you doing that. And there was some really hard thing. And I was crying. I was about to talk about it. And I was about to start crying. And I heard your voice in my head. Stop, <laughs> take a breath, start over. She's like, thanks for that. I'm like, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, good. I didn't scar you. Okay, good, good. 
that was a good life skill and she's like no because i'm gonna still feel all the feelings yeah that's just my temperament that's exactly. my natural temperament i'm gonna i'm not you're not gonna make me not feel the emotions i'm gonna feel them but that's what this temperament has to work on is controlling them yeah yeah feeling them is it's fine to feel it's beautiful yeah. really it is it, I, I had the flu a couple of weeks ago and I felt so bad in the middle of the night one night I was like I think if I could just cry no. I would feel better but I really can't even drum up some tears <laughs> I just feel bad and it was like see tears are good mom yep, yep. <laughs> so okay yeah another shadowy side listen I feel like we're beating up on blue people but we're listen we're all going to get beat up on yep. eventually eventually but another shadow side of the blue temperament is they can manipulate or try to control you mm-hmm. with their emotions. So they love for the parent to feel sorry for them. They're the ones who as toddlers pack their little bag and run away. And I'll show, show you. I'll show you, parents. I'm going to run away. So if you're not careful, this child can get you focused on their emotions to the point that you forget you're actually supposed to be correcting for something. Right. <laughs> Your focus might change to cheering them up and you forgot what got them in trouble in the first place. Yes. So don't get manipulated. That's right. We, Listen, I was not going to be manipulated because my temperament. Right. Is, me too. But those blue moms, <laughs> I just look at them. I just shake my head at them. Yes. Because they fall for. They fall for it. Because they too want to help and they too are feeling all the oh, things. Sorry, suckers. <laughs> It feels so bad for you. There's just so much feeling going on in, in a blue mom's. <laughs> That's just me. I feel physically tired just talking about it right now. <laughs> it's all good, though. It's good. So, yeah, we had our, our blue child would, I don't know, something minor. doesn't do this anymore, but something minor. Fall down the last step on the stairs. I remember this in particular. He was not hurt at all, <laughs> but he wants to lay there in a heap and cry. <laughs> Just to get attention, just to get the hug, just to get the, you know, comfort, all the things, the touch. And I'm more of a, you know, rub some dirt on it, shake it off, take a walk, you're fine, you're good, get up. And it just got louder and louder and louder (laughs) until the whole house was shaking with whales. So anyway, yeah, we learned quickly, just, just go give him a hug, pat his little bottom and he'll go on his way. And move along, move along. So if you are a blue parent raising a blue child, it helps to have an objective spouse or friend. That means a different temperament uh-huh. spouse or friend to step in so your own emotions don't turn into some vortex sucking everyone down. Right. So it, it's going to be extra easy for you to take their normal toddler behavior or their teenage behaviors personally and get your feelings hurt. And it really a lot of times has nothing to do with you. That's hard for a blue parent mm-hmm. to be objective in that way. Mm-hmm. It really is hard. So their teenager's just acting like a teenager and, you know, not really giving them the time of day and doesn't really have time to answer questions and whatever. And they are taking it as, well, they just don't love me. Well, all after all this sacrifice, how can you hate me? Right. And how dare you treat me that way? And hold a grudge against that mm-hmm. child who's just acting like a teenager. Um and it's real easy for a blue parent to then connect easily with an with maybe if they have another child with their blue child mm. to the detriment of this child who's treating them that way. Yeah. So you just got to kind of watch for that. It's not necessarily in the fault of your child. It's not okay for them to treat you disrespectfully. Right. Right. But don't hold a grudge against them and don't take everything personally. Right. And so which we're, which leads to the advice we would give you is don't use your own emotions to manipulate your your own child either. It goes both ways. 
So ask yourself, why are you upset with your child? Um, or, you know, did they did they cross a line, like a family boundary that you're, it's a clear boundary. Right. You know, in the Sproul's house, you know, we always, you know, do X, Y, Z. And they've clearly cr- crossed that boundary. Okay, that's one thing. Or are they just not talking to you in a way you prefer? Right. Are they not meeting your needs? Are they you, not giving you the quality time that you think you exactly. need? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are they not relating to you in a way that you would expect? Well, then... Maybe it's time to see, like, well, how old are they? Is it an eight-year-old not relating you to you in a way you expect? Or is it a 17-year-old mm-hmm. who may need to have some more moral maturity and character traits that are right. you know, preciousness of others and sacrificing for family time? Right. So as of an adult, as the adult mom or dad, although blue blue males are a little rarer than They're blue females. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're not going to be, oh, you made me so sad. I mean, your child doesn't need to bear all your emotions. They're just like, hey, you know, I'd like for you to spend some more time with me and leave it at that. If you do make your child bear your emotions, I can tell you what will happen when they turn 18 and leave the house. They will avoid you. Mm. I've seen it again and again with my children's uh, friends. Mm -hmm. If the parents are emotionally manipulative, if they put too much pressure on the child to make them feel, make the parent feel a certain way, they're like, See ya. Yeah. I have a choice now. <laughs> I have some volition on where I go and who I see and what I do. And I'm not here for that. Right. So, you know, work on your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and don't make everybody else work on it for you. Right. And it's, I mean, God has a sense of humor. So he puts these different temperaments in our lives as parents to teach us some things. Yes. So ask, what lesson am I learning here from my child? Oh my goodness. I'm so grateful for the gift of a blue child and all of the ways it's made me a better wife. Mm. It's made me a better daughter. Friend. It's made me a better friend. I actually, you know, in my 40s, I had started to have people come up to me, especially after classes that we would be teaching, and just like kind of pour their hearts out to me and tell them what's going on in their family with mm-hmm. their children, and ask for my advice. And I would look around and be like, who are you talking to? No mm-hmm. one ever comes to me. And I, I'm not like a safe place for people to tell me like their stuff, but I am now. <laughs> I, I, I've become that person yeah. that is softened and that can see your perspective mm-hmm. and not be so quick to just jump to, well, if you would just do one, two, and three, yeah, your life would be better. And that's 30 years of this, realization and absolutely. work. Absolutely. That is 30 years of work. Self-awareness and all, yeah. all of the things. Yeah. So we it's d- an encouragement to moms too. It is. We, we just had... This past weekend, this came up when one of my family members, who's very blue, um, I reacted to a situation very gold, and she was reacting to it very, very blue. And it just dawned on me, because we had just written this for this, it dawned on me what was going on. And I kind of went like, okay, pump the brakes. Here's what's happening. And I'm sorry I didn't look at it from your point of view. It did not even occur to me to do that. But I see what's happening and how that would have hurt your feelings. Super sorry. Yes. Yes, that's and that's the thing about um, being able to say you're sorry is you can always say you're sorry for the way you made someone feel. Mm-hmm. You, you, it wasn't necessarily. I don't know what happened. I kind of want to know. Tell yeah. me later. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not necessarily you did something wrong. It's but it's how so- something is perceived. Right. I can always apologize for how something's perceived. Sure. And and not feel like I'm being dishonest to myself right. or lying or being manipulated because yeah. people are precious. Well, I sure I didn't want to make anybody feel bad. For right, sure. right. So yeah, it's really great. It's just such great information and so easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it minimizes conflict. It helps you know people better. 
helps you relate to people better, whether it's a spouse or a child or a friend or a, a sister, whatever. And we love you, blue people. We you do. You blue friends. You help us think about others. Yes. You help us empathize. You help mm-hmm. us work on relationships and put the effort into time spent together. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really great. Yeah. So, yeah. All this is just, this is just one temperament of four. Mm-hmm. We've got, uh, what, gold and green and orange. and orange coming yep. coming up and we'll get into those this is such a fun topic i could talk about this for a long time yeah <laughs> really great so the these resources this information um parenting made practical go check them out that'll be on our website justaskyourmom.com and we're on facebook at just ask your mom and instagram at just ask your mom podcast mm-hmm. we would love for you to rate our podcast and leave a review if you're listening and better yet subscribe so you'll get each new monday episode if you have questions or topic suggestions you can always email just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com and we'll see you next time on just, just ask, ask your mom, mom.